0: Yeah, so that was also kind of a pivotal moment for me. Even though I'd had health issues in the past, they were always more, like, physical, more mechanical, if you will. But when your doctor suddenly tells you you have cancer, I don't know, I found it scary. My wife did, too. Afterwards, did all the treatment, recovered several exams, said, "Okay, you're good, you're good. When the time came and and the doctor said, you can go back to work now, because I was off work for several months, so I said, "Okay, that's good, but I'm not going to go back to work. And I'd given my my boss a heads up. She's a great lady, and, and we're still in touch quite regularly. Uh, I had given her a heads up. Said, "You know what? I may not come back. You might want to start thinking of something else here." Um, And there are people who who you know have really great great jobs, great paying jobs, and are miserable because they don't like it. I liked what I did before, and it's not that I didn't like it. Everybody knew I loved my job, and I loved my team, and and you know I got tremendous cooperation from them. But I knew that after my cancer treatment, and it has some impact on your health, I couldn't continue to run big teams and also maintain my health. So I had to make a choice. So my my priorities are to continue to work and contribute, but I also want to take time to stay healthy and enjoy life and those priorities should be everybody's priorities. And to me, I hope my legacy is that I've helped people be their best. Right. So Not, not that I had sports cars, which I did, uh, or that I traveled all over, practically all over the world, which I did, but that's not gonna be my legacy. I hope my legacy is that I help people be their best. In my book, I'm going to capture as many of my real life experiences so that maybe people can use the book and help themselves
1: uh, be their best. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. If you've been listening for a while, then you'll remember senior Canadian retail leader Normand Cialo talking about inclusive leadership all the way back in episode 20. Well, I'm delighted to say we're returning to Canada today for some more leadership wisdom. I met Germain Saint-Denis When he was named a fellow top 10 thought leader in coaching by Thinkers360. I heard him on another podcast and I knew that you would love to hear his story. Based in Toronto, he is a coach and former senior leader with the Oracle Corporation. In 2015, a serious health episode caused him to reevaluate his priorities and reshape the balance of his life and focus of his work. He developed a passion for people and culture, advocating for servant leadership and people first principles. Now he's writing a book on the subject of empowering your people through caring leadership. We spoke recently in preparation for this conversation, and today I'm looking forward to hearing more of Germain's reflective wisdom and, of course, the Unlock Moments of remarkable clarity that shaped the person he is today. Germain Saint-Denis, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Good morning, Gary. And thank you. Thank you so
0: much for having me on on your podcast. It's quite an honor. And um, I hope that all of the listeners do uh, find some value. I'm not sure how much wisdom I really bring, but uh, I bring my own story. So great to be here.
1: (laughs) That's all we need. I'm delighted you accepted the invitation. Thank you so much for coming. So where do we need to start in your journey to understand where you are today? To start the journey, perhaps like in many uh, cases for other people. I would
0: go back to my childhood. Um, I grew up in a a large family in rural Ontario, a loving family, actually. Uh, We had very good parents and taught us everything about uh, respect and teamwork and everything else. My parents were poor, uh, and they had some definite challenges, uh, health challenges and financial challenges. Uh, But as I grew up, I could really see, and, I, and I, I noticed that I admired how courageous and uh, tenacious they were to always keep going, always keep going. And after I became like maybe around my teens, I started to say, well, I've got to be strong myself, even though I also had health issues from a, young, from a young age. I have to be strong myself, and I have to be sure that... Um, adversity never stops me, basically. So that's kind of where my my story starts. Uh, And I think it does have a lot to do with what I'm doing today.
1: Mm, It's interesting. Tell me more about what your parents did for a living. What what was that kind of environment you were growing up in? I grew up on on a small dairy farm in eastern
0: Ontario. So um, as a farmer, it's good to have several kids because they help. Uh, So we were six boys, four girls. And I'm the I I think I was supposed to be last, but five years later, my younger brother came along, which is great, great guy. Um, But uh, you learn about responsibility, responsibility for for the animals, of responsibility for the whole family and what needs to be done and to work as a team, right? So um, my parents, even though my dad was quite strict, uh, he would always give us a lot of um, freedom to try things. And he would say, oh, yeah, you can do it. Go ahead and try it. But very, very encouraging. And he would beat you up if you made a mistake. Wouldn't be very happy sometimes. But, you know, it's very understanding and caring. And uh, my mom was the most charming woman.
1: And how old were you when you first started working in the family farm?
0: Oh, probably... Uh, Twelve, thirteen years old, maybe something like that. It's usually when when we start you we start driving a tractor very slowly on the farm uh or and at uh, I think at fourteen fifteen I was driving a pickup truck uh so and that's very, very common. It was very common in those days anyway. Now farming has changed quite a bit. Uh, there are very few small family farms anymore, but the idea is the same. You have to learn to to get you know work. Uh, get work done and get along. And even on a poor day, you don't feel like it, the work
1: still needs to be done. When you were in your teenage years, did you think that was what you were going to go on and do in your career, take over the family farm, work, work in, in, in that industry? Or at what point did you start to think, what, what do I want to do with my life and career?
0: Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I don't think anybody ever asked me that on a podcast. Thank you for asking that. I actually did consider um, taking over the farm with my brother, my younger brother, and my, one of my older sisters and her husband. We looked at it, but there's no way we could make it work financially, unfortunately. Um, it's just, you know, farming, not very, very profitable. We couldn't make it work. Um, but I decided in high school, I liked machinery, of course, being around machinery. And as I learned more about the electronics, I got very interested in that. So when I decided to go to college, I signed up for electronics engineering. And the first year, we were kind of exposed to computer science. And I said, oh, I was very good in math. And I loved math. So that was really interesting. So I said, okay, at the end of the first year, we could choose to change program. And I did. I started computer science. And I didn't find it difficult, and I never did find the technology difficult. Not that it's not complicated. Today it's much more complicated. But for something with someone with a logic brain like me, um, it worked. So that's how I ended up in the tech business.
1: And what, what kind of year were you in college studying computer science? What kind of era of, of the development of computers was, was that?
0: Actually, it was, it was a very young industry. Um we were talking about using mainframes, large IBM mainframes. They took up you know a computer room the size of a church, almost, if you will, <laughs> really big with raised floors and and punch cards. So now I'm dating myself. People may think that I'm well over forty, but I'm just over forty. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, but so it was very, very different uh, but the principles were. Always, the principles haven't really changed very much. You have a machine, and you have to somehow program it to
1: do what you need to get done. Still boils down to that. Mm -hmm. And it started to tune into. I'm hearing, you know, a a way your brain works, kind of aligned with with the things that you were starting to be interested in.
0: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I'm always I've always been a very logical person, but at the same time. I do like people a lot. I like to work with people. I enjoy people's company, and I love teamwork, And which is why I think in tech, in my early years, um, I became more of a subject matter expert. Um, and that's where I had my success initially, where I worked for, for a telecom company doing uh, developing software for computer networks. Uh, I got more interested in their application, and the business application, and, um, then I moved on, and I got involved in. Uh, actually, got involved in, in the international scene for a while, and I, you know, I became a kind of a leader of, of an association and representing Canada in, in groups at, at the UN. But still, it was more like I was a subject matter expert, or I was a, you know, a strategist. That was really my role, helping clients with their strategies use, using e-commerce, which, which was the beginning of e-commerce when I, when I was doing that
1: fascinating and tell me more about when you first started to be stepping into more of a leadership role what, what, what was your experience of being seen or identified as a leader for the first time i had some of that experience
0: uh, as i mentioned internationally and, and even with the telecom company but i didn't quite feel like i was the leader of those people at the time um it was only an, an this is quite, you know, I still remember that because that's a big part of my life. I had the, the fortune to join uh, one of the top uh, tech consulting firms in Canada uh, at the time. And after I joined, I, became, I got ill. And that was very stressful because I didn't know what they were going to think, right? But the person, actually the person who interviewed me, um, he was very, very good. He was understanding, okay, take you know, get get yourself. Um, taken care of, take the time you need, and I thought, wow, these people are really, really good. Right? They they care about their employees, and that that was really something that I thought I've got to be again. I've got to be able to do well here, because it kind of motivates me, right? To, to that's how maybe I respond to that kind of situation. So I did well there also as as an individual contributor as a strategist, helping the government with government online, early days of, of e-government services. To my biggest surprise, they had a, a major change in the organization, but still within, within Canada. And they asked me to take over the Canadian consulting practice for management consulting. And I, I was so surprised because I felt that there were several people in that group that were better than I am. At least that's good and better than I am. I knew some of them. And I thought, "Wow, this is quite an honor, but what are they gonna think? Are they gonna be mad? uh, Or are they gonna be upset? How am I gonna get all these people behind me so that we can do, because the company wanted to grow and we were doing very well at the time. So I decided, well, I better make sure I care for them and help them grow. and. So I started right away to have very, very close uh, sessions with them, meetings one-on-one, but also sometimes as a group of select individuals, uh, usually the more senior people to help decide on strategy and everything else. And that's when I really had the unlock moment to say, okay, this is how leadership is going to work. This is how leading people successfully is going to work. And it did. Our group did amazing things and helped the company. But we as a group did a lot. And it's interesting that we're still in touch today. Many of us are still in touch today, which says a lot in itself, right?
1: So you started to intuitively apply some of these people-first principles that you've gone on to 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 champion through, through your whole career. Did, did the people around you always support that, that was the way to go? In that company, yes. Um,
0: and even though I didn't call it, I didn't even know what servant leadership was at the time, to be honest with you. I, I learned afterwards, and uh, then I realized that's what helped me all along. In that organization, yes, people were very supportive because a lot of the leaders were actually servant leaders without really um, knowing it or using that label, right? Um, where I worked before, that would have been seen as a weakness. And later on in my career, that was also seen as a weakness. So, But in that organization, it was, it was great, it was the right fit. Uh, I think the right role, the right role at the right time, you can do a lot, you can do a, I have a book from uh, Mr. Schultz, his name is, um, he is a guy who's credited for saving the Porsche 911. Um, because Porsche was going to go, go bankrupt, basically. And he says he can, we can have extraordinary results with ordinary people. And he really applies the same principles, coming from his own very, very different perspective and everything else.
1: That's really interesting. And I remember when we talked before, you somebody had said to you somewhere along the way, if you just focus on your people, you'll never get ahead.
0: Yes, that. That came actually after I moved to Toronto. Before that, I lived in Ottawa. When I moved to Toronto, and I worked for a, for a smaller tech company, mid sized four or 5,000 employees worldwide, uh, we, were, we were again doing very well. Uh, our group exceeded most of its goals. Um, then we were acquired by Oracle. And that was a huge culture shock, huge culture shock. And total roller coaster. So, when, they, when we first started to transition into the company after the legal uh, entity change, they asked me to take on a different role. They said, Oh, you're, you'd be good in this role, uh, working with you know, more of the, the side of bringing revenue, working with clients, all this stuff. I said, What about my team? Because most of my team came along. Um, I said, What about my team? I, I need to help them transition. I knew it was going to be tough. I could see. It was going to be tough, so I said no. I prefer to stay with my team. And okay, well that's fine. So we started to work. Had lots of challenges. Um, I had some, some, a few battles with some of the people there in terms of how we want to do things. Generally, wanting to work as a team there was kind of seen as, as a weakness. And so the way that I led my people was kind of seen as well. You're too soft. You're too soft. You're You can't do that. You have to push them. You have to push them. Um, So that really didn't really work. And at one time, that's what I was told. Uh, I was told, if you only focus on your people, you'll never get ahead. Well, so be it then. Okay, fine. I I was ready to, to, I I was fine with that, to be honest, because I still wanted to continue to help
1: them. And I think that today that mindset's starting to shift very significantly in large, large organizations. I think that organizations are recognizing now something that many of them could have done well to recognize 10, 20 years ago, that you can get so much further if you unlock the power of your people. And listen to this podcast, remember Gary Ridge from WD-40 Company, the longtime chairman and CEO of WD-40 Company, talking all about power of servant leadership. So for you, when you use this phrase, servant leadership, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, it's, it's really so
0: simple. And by the way, I, I did listen to Gary Bridges' in, um, podcast with you. It was fabulous. And he used the same words that I always use, which is people, leaders should be a coach, right? And a servant leader should also be a coach. It's so simple. All you have to do is care for your people. And by caring for your people, that means that you know just intuitively you have to equip them, to be able to do the work that you're going to assign. So they have to be at the train, they have to have the tools, they have to have the time. So you equip them, you support them, you trust them and, and empower them to do what needs to be done. Basically, to me, that's very, very simple, right? Trust and empower your people uh, and they will get the job done. So when people ask me what servant leadership is, it's what leadership should always have been. And maybe was for certain people, uh, like Gary Ridge and other people that I know, uh, but it's always been seen as too soft. And soft skills, as you know, have never been really, really as appreciated as the strong leader, authoritative, visionary, commanding uh, person. Right? Uh, our culture is still like that, and culture is still likes you know a fairly big, strong person. That's just the way we are. But I think the pandemic, if if we had time to look at that a bit, the pandemic kind of twisted that for the better, I think, in that more and more leaders became more understanding when they had people working from home suddenly, and maybe they had a child walk in the room, or a dog, or a cat, or whatever, and there were some interruptions. They accepted it, but they accepted it primarily because they were in the same boat. If they had not been in the same boat, there's no way that would have worked, right? But everybody was in the same boat for a while. So leaders then realize, okay, we have to be more understanding, more tolerant. Some of these people are sick or their family is sick. So you really have to be aware. Um, and that's part of servant leadership is you have to understand the, the whole person. If they or their family have issues, um, you have to understand that things that you need to do for their well-being, not just for, to meet the immediate goal, right? You really have to be um, concerned about the whole person because it's hard to divide the person from home and work. Yes, of course, we have work-life balance, but you still come home with your whole self. And if you have worries at home, they they may impact how well you do your job. So if you can help to resolve home issues by giving them the time, not by trying to find a solution, but by giving them the time to deal with these things, it helps. So the pandemic, I think, helped from that point of view, and soft skills are now considered essential skills. Um, even the CEO of Microsoft, I think it was maybe two years ago, 2021, you know, he said, care is the new currency. So great. I was so happy to hear that. But yet, about six months ago, five, six months ago, they let people go because you know, it was affecting their profits with business going down. Well, where's the care part, sir? <laughs> so, something's not right here, but anyway, um, I don't know if that helps you understand my, my, my view of servant leadership, but when I talk to people who understand it, it's a no-brainer. When I talk to people who are really not very trusting,
1: they don't quite agree with all of this stuff. Here's the paradox. So I love the simplicity of your articulation of servant leadership. Train and equip your people and then trust and empower them. So four elements. And, and I'm thinking there are leaders who get it, there are leaders that don't get it, there are leaders that do it, and there are leaders that don't do it. Some leaders who think they're doing it and they don't do it. I think across those four, most leaders would, would, would see and do the train and equip your people. That's almost the, the base level. The paradox is it's, it feels so simple. It feels so obvious, both to get the best out of your people and also to enable you as a leader to let go some of the having to think for them, having to guide them, having to do it for them. You know, To be able to delegate, you have to trust and empower your people. So the paradox is, so why is it so hard? Why do people find it so hard to trust and empower their people when on paper it seems so obvious that that would be a good thing to do, is create the environment where there is that level of trust. What's your perspective on why some leaders find it difficult to trust their people? Yeah, that,
0: that, that is really a tough one. Um, from my observation, I think many of the leaders get to be where they are because they have been successful as an individual, their own skills, right, their own ability to show what they can do. Uh, And because of that, they're not quite sure that they can trust someone else to continue to make them look good, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's part of the problem with remote work and hybrid remote work. Uh, If if there's no trust, it'll never work. That's the number one uh, criteria for remote work. Everything else is secondary. And I've talked about that a lot. So for servant leadership to work, I think a leader who wants to be a true people leader um, this is how I look at it. You have to be prepared to put your people's priorities ahead of yours, which means that of, co- of course, you have to meet the organization's priorities that and you have to align the work with organization's goals and everything else. But if you lead a team, you can't say, well, this will be better for me if we do it this way, you have to look at it. What is the best way to do it for the team? What's the best way to inspire and motivate them? To do what needs to be done and help them grow at the same time. That may mean that you don't grow at the same time, but normally you would anyway. By just because it's, you're part of the, of the team, really. But you can't focus on your own growth. You have to focus on their success and their growth. And I mean to me, that's a key criteria for being a people leader. And I, I, by people leader, I don't only mean the first level of people leadership. People leader goes all the way up the chain. If it's only the first level. That poor person is going to be so uh, thorned uh, between you know, higher up direction and, and conflicting with what they would like
1: to do with their team. So that, that wouldn't work. Let's step forward then and talk to me about the experience you had with your own health in 2015 and how that started to change your perspective on what was important and what you wanted to do.
0: Yeah, so um, that, that was also a kind of a pivotal moment for me. Um, even though I'd had health issues in the past, um, they were always more like physical, more you know, more mechanical, if you will. Um, but when your doctor suddenly tells you you have cancer, um, I don't know, I found it scary. Uh, my wife did too. Um, I'd been having issues with my voice for a while and it took a long time for them to find that I had a malignant tumor on my vocal cord. And the doctor who found it, she was great. I was quite happy that she found it. When she first examined me, she said, oh, I don't like this, but we're going to do a a biopsy. Okay. And then she personally called me to tell me the result. And she said, yes, it's cancerous. And my wife said, well, I'm not ready for this, right? But um, so she said, no. I could treat you with surgery, but because of the position of this tumor, I may miss some of it. We're going to do uh, radiation, send you to the hospital. And so I did go ahead and I got the treatment. And I was very fortunate, to be honest. Every day that I went for my treatments, I could see other people there. And I always felt that they were, they were in much worse shape than I am. I was thankful that even though it's, I was scared of the cancer, I knew it wouldn't beat me, and I looked at them, and and some of them, um, it was tough, and and actually I had one of my friends who was going through cancer roughly around the same time, Um, and he he passed away some months later. I was very lucky because I I recovered fully. Um, Afterwards, uh, did all the treatment, recovered several exams, said, okay, you're good, you're good. So when the time came and and the doctor, The doctor said you can go back to work now because I was off work for several months. So I said, "Okay, that's good, but I'm not going to go back to work." And I'd given my my boss a heads up. I, she's a great lady, and and we're still in touch quite regularly. Uh, I had given her a heads up. Said, "You know what? I may not come back. You might want to start thinking of something else here." Um, And so my wife and I both resigned our corporate jobs. We decided to travel, cycle, do nature walks, which we love to do. We love hiking in Algonquin Park. Um, So we did all those things, but I missed work after a while. Even though it was fun, um, it was great. I missed work because I missed the people. I missed the challenge. So I decided to go back to work, and she did too. And I decided I'd go back to work as a consultant and try and be more of a leadership consultant to help other leaders maybe uh, adopt the, the principles that I used and, and introduce servant leadership
1: to them. That was, all, that was really a turning point, I think. Did you let go of things that you'd done before and you felt, I don't need to have that anymore in what I do, as well as embracing the people-first leadership and servant leadership?
0: Well, I had to let go. I mean, it's very different from having a, a good full-time job with the whole team behind you. And I still miss that because I love having the team, so I miss, still miss that as a, as a you know as a freelancer. Um, and you know, coaches don't make as so much money, to be honest, right? Everybody will tell you that. But at the same time, I find it so rewarding I currently have a, a program called Emerging Leaders in Action. And I find it so rewarding when they tell me that, oh, this is a aha moment for them, or they tell me, hey, I I did this at work, and it was great, right? I got the result, so that is really rewarding. So whenever I hear somebody being able to use the principles, um, it makes it all worthwhile. So my mission right now is to share all of those caring leadership and and people first principles to help inspire others uh, and motivate other leaders to do the same.
1: It's very interesting listening to you. My book, The Idea Mindset, is all about figuring out who you are, what's important to you, and where you're going to build a future where you love what you do every day and it connects deeply with your, your values and purpose. And in there, there's an exercise I often do with people that I work with around needs, wants, and compromises. So understanding the minimum things that you really need, which is to, be, to have a roof over your head and food on the table, but not luxurious food, not an extraordinary roof over your head, but the, the kind of basics. And the, when people think about that, the list of things they really need is actually quite a, a short list. And then you have a list of things you want, which might be a longer list. And often people going through the exercise Start to realize that things that they want, like I'd like to, I want two holidays a year. I want to go to the South Pacific. Um, they th- used to think some of them were things they needed, and then you realize you don't need those things necessarily. And then you think about, well, what compromises am I, am I prepared to make? And I'm hearing in your story, you know, you've compromised to some extent on money, for example. But what you've gained from that is that everything you do is now focused around something that you feel deeply passionate about and you feel deeply rewarding. And I, I want people to, to hear that because it's, it's hard sometimes when you're on a conveyor belt that is, for example, you know, well remunerated, but you don't enjoy what you do, to be able to let some of that go sometimes. And I hear that in this journey that circumstances brought you to a place where You've chosen to let some of those things go, but you've come to a place where you love what you do. Does that resonate with, with what you've experienced?
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and very, very well said, Gary, definitely. Um, and there are people who, who you know, have really great, great jobs, great paying jobs, and are miserable because they don't like it. I like what I did before, and it's not that I didn't like it. Everybody knew I loved my job, and I love my team, and, and you know, I got... Tremendous cooperation from them. But I knew that after my cancer treatment, and it has some impact on your health, I couldn't continue to run big teams and also um, maintain my health. So I had to make a choice. So you know, my, my priorities are you know, to continue to work and contribute, but I also want to take time to stay healthy and enjoy life. Uh, And those priorities should be everybody's priorities that that changes a bit, which one is first changes a bit, depending on where you are um, in your career. But those are still the same. And um, I used to, for example, I used to uh, speak at conferences. Um, It's harder for me to do that now because my voice is not strong enough, as as people will see uh, listening or hear listening to this podcast. My voice is not as strong. So. But I still don't miss those things because I do find the rewards are there. And at one time, I, I had a discussion about legacy. And to me, I hope my legacy is that I've helped people be their best. Right. So Not, not that I had sports cars, which I did, uh, or that I traveled all over, practically all over the world, which I did. But that's not going to be my legacy. I hope my legacy is that I help people be their best. And in my book, I'm going to capture as many of my real-life experiences so that maybe people can use the book
1: and help themselves uh, be their best. That's a brilliant segue. So you're currently writing a book about empowering your people through caring leadership. What can we expect? So. Um, yes,
0: thank you. Actually, one of my sisters, another one of my sisters is an author, and she wrote several books, mostly um, some around history, but she was a teacher. She wrote books for children. She wrote books about our, our, our family um, history, that kind of thing. Really good. And when I had my cancer, she said, oh, you, could, you should write a book about that. And I said, well, you know, maybe that's too negative. Not sure I want to write a book about that. Uh, but now, and I had been thinking about it for a while. But when I started my coaching program, empowering leadership in action, and and the in action part is because it's all based on practical, actionable uh, things that leaders can and should do every day. It, it, it's not the, the typical, um, you know, competencies and that kind of thing. So. In my book, what I'm going to do is I'm going to capture uh, parts of maybe what we discussed today, how my upbringing has shaped me, and how throughout my career, um, different stages of my career, where I was successful, where I wasn't, because I wasn't always. I don't think anybody is. We all have some setbacks. And how then I decided, after my cancer, to become this uh, leadership consultant to help others. But the end of the book probably will say uh, something like, I hope my legacy is that I help people be their best because I think that would capture a lot of it. And that can only be done, I think, through caring leadership. You you can't really help people be their best by whipping them. It just doesn't work.
1: For people that have listened to this story and, and heard you speak and they want to maybe get in touch or find out more about the work you do, how can they find out more about you and how can they reach out?
0: Um, I'm quite active, actually, on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a website, very simple. It's my name, uh, germainsandini.ca for Canada. Very simple. And uh, on LinkedIn, if you Google, my name will likely come up somewhere. Um, but uh, I'd be happy you know, if anybody wants to reach out as they, as they listen to this um you know they they can um ask and i would be happy to chat with them they could ask for my email or phone number and we we will go from there that i always love all of those yeah
1: fantastic thank you so much the unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead for canadian coach and advocate of caring leadership jermaine sandini it was the experience of his cancer diagnosis that caused him to reevaluate his priorities and shape a life aligned with his passion and purpose around servant and people-first leadership to help people to be at their best. Jermaine, it's been a delight. Thank you for joining me today on The Unlock Moment.
0: Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much for having me. It's always great to talk about something that, that we're passionate about. It's,
1: you know, it's easy. Thank you very much. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on the Unlock Moment.